0: The content that's explicit will not come with a warning except for this. So bear in mind what I am saying. This show is explicit content. It's Monday, February 12th, 2018 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So as you heard there, it is Monday, which means yesterday was Sunday. And if it was Sunday, it was meet the press. Here's how Chuck Todd started the show. This Sunday, the White House in chaos. Two White House
1: staffers resign over allegations they physically abused their wives.
0: White House in chaos. Hard to get your mind around, except we've been given so many previous chances to get our minds around it. Like... Here's how Chuck Todd started the July 30th show, noting this Sunday, the chaos presidency, and going on to say...
1: But it's unclear whether Kelly will be given the authority to reign in chaos, which emanates from the president himself. The
0: chaos presidency, so... That's when we figured out it was the chaos presidency, except for the fact that two weeks into the presidency, Chuck Todd started Meet the Press. This was February 5th, 2017. This Sunday, confrontation and chaos. So this brings up the question about the fundamental nature of chaos. Can chaos be a permanent condition? I think of chaos as whirling and whirling apart, casting off components until it burns up in the atmosphere or breaks apart. But maybe it's like a centrifuge. The spinning contains all the chaos and every other loose strand of incompetence and dysfunction. Can chaos be permanent? I mean, chaos is erratic and inconsistent. The opposite of chaos is order and constancy. So can there be a constant chaos? Here we have three instances, each spaced months apart, where chaos reigned so supremely that it was named in the very first paragraph of the Sunday show of record. If the charge were just to find other instances of White House chaos, we could literally do one every week. And perhaps some would be overblown by the media, but many, many would remind you, oh yeah, that happened. Tom Price and the planes or any other number of millions of chaotic things that happened. Now, it's said that Trump thrives in chaos. See, I don't think that's actually possible. I think that... No one can be better when they're distracted than when they're paying attention. It's, it's impossible. You can't be your best self when you're dealing with extraneous stimuli that's off-task. So it's not that Trump thrives in chaos, it's that he thrives comparatively. It's a little like Derek Jeter in the clutch. I don't think Derek Jeter necessarily got more focused. It's just that sometimes some of his competitors would lose their focus. Trump probably thinks this is true about him too. Trump has so few political skills, witness today's infrastructure week take four. At this point, it seems like the only shot that he has of doing anything or getting any credit is to chop down the furniture every day, build a big bonfire, and bill himself as the woodsman. And oh, by the way, the Trump family does have that marshmallow concession on the side. On the show today, I spiel about the winter games and the country that's really game. But first, what about trying to game the games? Well, that is a horse or a speed skater of a different color. And Maria Kanakova is here to color us all beautiful when it comes to sports and Colors. Slate Live is thrilled to present Employee of the Month, a late-night talk show all about work. It's recorded before a live audience. You can be part of that audience. And host Katie Lazarus will dazzle you with her wit and insight This month, Katie Lazarus is joined by comedian Hannibal Burris, actor Emily Mortimer, and musical guest the Resistance Revival Choir. The show is March 15th at the Gramercy Theater in New York City. For more information and tickets, visit slate.com slash live. Budum bum 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 I've probably violated copyright laws. The Olympics are upon us, South Korea. And with the Olympics come people wearing the colors of their country. But not only the colors of their country, sometimes colors that they think will help them. Joining me now is Maria Kanakova. She is author of The Confidence Game. And that Sherlock Holmes book of yours, <laughs> <laughs> mastermind. How to think? Of, how to think That's like? That's how Sher- I
1: think about it too.
0: <laughs> how to think like Sherlock Holmes? Isn't that it, mastermind? How yeah. to think like Sherlock? Well done, Holmes. well done. Yes, Maria. It's been a while, but Maria, Maria comes here and she uh, tells us what is and isn't bullshit, and we're going to talk about colors and the Olympics. So, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you, Mike?
0: What are you wearing and how is that affecting your performance?
1: Um, I'm wearing gray, Mm -hmm. like dark gray. (laughs) And so I'm basically as monochromatic as you can get. Yeah. The first ever research on color was done on perceptions of black and white. So I've basically just taken that and merged the two together. When was
0: that research done? What year?
1: That was done in the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, so
0: back then, if we've seen the photographs, everything was black and white. So Absolutely. It only makes sense. I mean,
1: yeah, the entire world yeah. was in black and white. So, it so totally. Makes I,
0: sense. because I know this is an audio medium, I am wearing a lime green unitard, which s- supposedly gives me extra uh, audio processing ability.
1: It I also gives you extra morality because green is associated with being moral. Apparently. Really? Yes. That's
0: not the rumor of the green m M&M. Okay. So this came up when I was reading about uh, Olympic speed skaters and the idea that if they wore blue uniforms, they went faster. And as an offhanded reference in this article, there was the notation. There is no evidence for that. But first, let's check in. Is there any evidence that blue makes you go faster?
1: Not so far as not I have so been far. able to see. As far as perception and kind of the psychological effects of colors go, blue is one of the most widely studied colors. Blue and red. Mm -hmm. Red is the single most studied color, blue second, and often it's the contrast between blue and red. And while I haven't seen anything on blue uniforms making skaters skate faster, there has been work that shows that blue can enhance attention and focus. And that's actually because of the wavelength. So that wavelength actually stimulates melanopsin receptors in your eye which makes you more focused. Oh, so maybe so, it's
0: not good for a speed skater but for an ice dancer or a ballet skater.
1: All of this work by the way big asterisk was done outside of the sports context. However, I was able to track down a number of studies that looked at actual sports uniforms. In fact, I found one that looked at red versus blue in the 2004 Olympics. Oh, really? Yes. Who? And they looked at three different things. They looked at boxers, wrestlers, and taekwondo.
0: Okay, so these are the so combat, combat sports, sports and yes. and these are the two sides. I know with boxing and taekwondo, I don't know, is this true in wrestling? That's true in wrestling. There's a blue team and a red team, a blue side and a red side, a blue corner and a red corner. So what did they look at? Who won more? Yeah, so they looked at who did better. Who did better.
1: Yep, and they did find a marginal effect of red on performance. Mm-hmm. So people who were in red uniforms did a tiny bit better. However, the effect was not present in women. It was just present in men. And it only manifested when the skill level was basically equal.
0: Yes. It would seem to me that a lot of these sports, there is the objective component. Like if there's a takedown in taekwondo or wrestling, that is noted. Boxing is a lot harder. The judges have to see if if a hit lands. I wouldn't say that it was impossible that maybe a judge would see a red glove hit a person's face Easier than they would see a blue glove, something like that? Yeah,
1: and that's actually one of the explanations, that we pay attention more to red, and so that it's actually a question of alertness. and that I'm just thinking of
0: the actual contrast of the redness of the glove and the (laughs) color of the person's face, which is further away from blue is to whatever your facial complexion is.
1: Yeah, potentially, potentially. But actually, people have posited that it is something to do with attention, that you pay attention more, which is both good and bad. So it's good in the sense that sometimes you see punches land, and then the person marginal will do a little better. It's bad because there's some research that shows that, say, football teams with red uniforms get more fouls called on them. For so More penalties.
0: NFL football? Or NFL football, so, Oh, really? Yes. More penalties. More penalties. Now, is that the, it's attention or is it the um, old pairing of red with aggressiveness? Like Who knows? Ball? So
1: that's yeah. the other explanation. So you got it. Those are the two explanations. One is attention and two red aggression, testosterone, there's kind of this evolutionary theory that because red actually signifies blood to the face, right, we actually turn red. And this is true in animals as well. In males, it's associated with testosterone. So red becomes associated with aggression. And so people who wear red, it actually kind of transfers over. This is a theory.
0: That's a theory. It seems to me, I remember reading about that red uniforms more highly penalized theory. It would seem to me that that's the sort of thing that I would find interesting. I'd want to replicate it. I'd want to replicate it in different sports. I'd want to do the thing where, so in the NFL, they have home and away jerseys. So it's the same team and they're just changing the color of their jerseys. Maybe you'd have, there are many other factors. When you play at home, you tend to get better calls from the referee. That is true. So- it does seem that beyond that one study, there are other ways for them to prove that. I don't know if anyone's done any follow-up research.
1: Yeah, they actually have not done research on something like that because it's really difficult to tell an NFL team, "Hey, guys, why don't you switch your uniforms for this particular game?" Yeah. So the you know, I well, you know
0: I'll throw this out there. Yeah. The Patriots, as you know, your hometown Patriots, used to be primarily a white and red team. Mm-hmm. Red was their base yep. uniform. Never won a Super Bowl. They turned to blue. <laughs> They've had an incredible streak up until a couple days
1: ago. Well, I think we. Ended the segment. I mean, yeah, we're, we're done. Much it. Yeah, that's that's basically <laughs> all the evidence you need. There's this guy Andrew Elliot who actually studies this a lot. kind of the effects of color on performance in different domains, and he has a context-dependent color theory. So basically, he says, you know, it depends on context. And so one of the reasons why we actually fail to replicate a lot of these a lot of these uniform effects because they don't replicate always. Mm-hmm. There have been studies, even though I told you about the Olympic studies that showed that red helps. There have been studies that show no effects of red there have been studies that show detrimental effects of red. The data is kind of all over the place. And so he has this theory that you can't just look at the color, you have to look at the context, because the same color can signify different things and has different psychological associations depending on the context. For instance, he did a pretty cool study with red on people taking tests. And he found that students who were exposed to red before the test did worse, because red in the academic context means mistakes. They are going to redline that. Exactly, exactly. And so different sports have different contexts. Different countries have different contexts. So the color red doesn't actually necessarily signal aggression in every single culture in every single context. In some, it might actually be bad. In others, it might be good, like male dominance. Same goes for blue. Same goes for a lot of these different things. There was one interesting study that showed that green, so hence my uh, comment about your green unitard. You're wearing a unitard, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. This is what you're looking at is a unitard. Okay, okay.
1: So there was actually a study that showed that people wearing green uniforms in some sports were seen as more fair as kind of more team players huh. because there seems to be this cultural association of green with morality, with kind of good things, pure things. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, if you follow the Jets where one player punched a quarterback in the face in the locker room, but it was in the locker room. Maybe they were wearing their green uniforms. Yeah. Not a uh, model of equanimity.
1: Those yes. Jets. And the ultimate context-dependent color thing, there was something done on cycling and yellow a few years ago mm-hmm. after all the doping scandals. And it was found that yellow was actually associated with anti-sportsmanship. So people thought that Teams who are wearing yellow in cycling were less sportsmanlike, and that's because the yellow jersey doping. There's been kind of this association oh, I with thought higher it was performance. Yellow
0: is the color of urine.
1: Oh, maybe, maybe and that would, as well. That maybe would that as well have to do with doping. But you know, this is all to say that you can find data for a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. However, when you look at the reviews of the effects, there just aren't that many good studies, for the simple reason that you often can't study it in real life contexts, and oftentimes data sets that have been used as evidence for this ended up being totally flawed. Like, for instance, there was one that showed a red advantage when they were looking, I think, at rugby over uh-huh. a number of years. But then you realized that the effect went away because it was actually driven completely by home team advantage. And when you actually looked at that, it kind of went away. In Australia, there was a study that showed a red advantage, but it was driven by the two top teams in the league. One right. of them happened to <laughs> be wearing red. So, so that's kind of... You have to look at these sorts of things, and it's so difficult to control for that. You
0: would think, though, that the guys... Doing the study would say, whatever, Canberra they are red. Uh, we got to control for that.
1: Yeah, but what happens if they're the only team that's wearing red and yeah. you're actually studying red?
0: You've basically written yourself or painted yourself in red into a bad corner.
1: Absolutely. If they ever, tr- when they
0: try these studies, we've talked about this before. So the effects that you've gotten in the 2004 Olympics, yep. a slight effect or advantage for the wearers of red yep. only for men, and yep. it was slight.
1: And it was slight. It was okay. slight. It was and it was only when the skill level was actually pretty evenly right. matched. So there
0: are a lot of parameters to get the only discernible effect. Yeah. Second one was we talked about teams getting calls in the NFL, and that was also a slight effect. Yep. And there were were there other parameters to that?
1: Um no. So they actually that was a pretty good study because yeah. they manipulated video feeds. They had professional referees and people who knew a lot about football watch videos and they actually manipulated the color of the uniforms on screen. Okay, so... So they were actually able to, exact same team, just wearing a different color uniform, but not... In reality, that just, is a good study. Yeah, so that was, that but it was does well seem,
0: and and we have talked about this before. It's possible that people went out there with this theory and tried it out and got no effect. And we never know about those failed studies.
1: This is very true, and you know, you also have to look at it from the perspective of the players. If looking at yourself makes you feel more powerful when you're wearing red, yeah. that's also going to have psychological effects, and that's actually important. And so that's something that people are starting to look at right now as well. There was a study with first-person shooter games mm-hmm. in virtual reality after this olympic study yeah and they showed that red teams actually had a slight advantage there
0: and it is weird though because in hunting when, when you see red you're not supposed to shoot
1: right so yeah. once again context 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 and we don't know any of the failed studies and a lot of these studies are not that well done there are not that many top tier psychologists who are really interested in the color of sports team uniforms their effects on no, no disrespect to andrew elliott no, no disrespect actually he's to wonderful Dr. yes and he's done a lot of good work on it
0: if you see Andrew Elliott in the woods and he's wearing the red neckerchief, do not take your aggression out exactly, on him. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But now we could render judgment. I'm not sure which way this is gonna go. Wearing a certain color can have an effect on performance or perception of performance. Is that bullshit?
1: Well, it's sort of bullshit in that we don't have a lot of good evidence. But I think that it might end up not being bullshit eventually once we have kind of more data. Because it does seem like there's definitely something to color perception affecting you. And that makes perfect sense. We just need kind of more results. And it will only be an effect on the margin. It's not like changing your uniform color to red will suddenly make you a winning team. That is not going to happen. Yes.
0: If with that change (laughs) comes, say, LeBron James. Right. And, and James Harden. See, James Harden, when he played for the Houston Rockets, a team that wears red, did get better, but that's probably just because he didn't have to share the ball as much as when it was with the Thunder. I think I've said too much. So, Maria, I think you said a phrase there about our specific study that applies to humanity as a whole. I believe it's possible we are on the eventual road to non-bullshit.
1: Yes, that's that's a very good way of phrasing it.
0: Would you say it's fair, or it's fair, or are you saying that only because I'm wearing this green unitard?
1: Well, I mean, I think the the green unitard does have some effect of my perception of your fair-mindedness.
0: That's that's the intention. Maria Kanakova is the author of The Confidence Game, and she plays is that bullshit with us right here on the gist. Thank
1: you, Maria. Thank you, Mike.
0: And now the spiel. Do you remember where you were when Lindsay Jacob Ellis tweaked her method? This is my favorite Winter Olympics announcer call of all time. It's better than Do You Believe in Miracles? Yes. This is Do You Believe in the Favorite Winning? Nope. 2006, Turin Games. American snowcrosser Lindsay Jacob Ellis is leading by a lot in the final run. In the clear, on the way to gold, then... Down and out. Goodbye, gold. Hi ho silver. But in explaining what happened, the announcers totally doed out. And they leave me, landbound Urbanite, guessing. And right there, dude, she did a she did a method. A method? A method was done. You know, I don't want to speculate here, but no, she fully did. She tweaked out an air. Oh, she tweaked an air. Lindsay Jacobella's tweaked her method. She torqued out. The announcers conveyed what happened in their tone. Their actual words left me flummoxed. Lindsay Jacobellis inverts her dinosaur! Lindsay Jacobellis, she slapped the gravy boat right there. So, to de-dutify the explanation of the doo-doo that Lindsay Jacobellis fell into, I will explain clearly what happened. Jacobellis was leading by a lot, and in a moment of exuberance, youthful exuberance, she was 20th time, she tried a trick where she grabbed the board. Snowcross is not one of those snowboarding events where tricks help you score points. They're just for fun, or in this case, the fun that entails losing a gold medal and only being consoled with a silver. Whoopsie, Lindsay winds up on her poopsie. In the days that followed, the sports media made a few comparisons. Here was ESPN. Speaking of Jacob Ellis' tweaking of method. It joined an elusive list of some of the biggest blunders in sports history when Dallas Cowboy Leon Lett was carrying that fumble return like a grocery bag against the Bills in Super Bowl XXVII, when Mookie Wilson's ground ball rolled through Bill Buckner's legs in Game 6 of the 86 World Series. I would say the writer of that torqued out trying for big air. So I've just edited this book of sporting what-ifs, the great what-ifs of sports, available for pre-order on Amazon now. And when I tell people that I'm doing this book, they say, oh, you know what would be a good one? What if Leon Lett had scored? Or what if Bill Buckner had caught the ball? In fact, Buckner catching the ball is on the cover of my book. It's a what-if. We are allowed to doctor the photos. But no one asks, no one has ever asked, hey, what if Lindsay Jacobellis hadn't tweaked her method? But you know what? If we were living in Norway, they would. Now, Donald Trump and I have a couple things in common. We're both New Yorkers who talk fast. We both, had we both been single at the time, had a desire to date his daughter. Okay, (laughs) not not really me. And uh, we both really, really admire Norway. Because Norway has the most Winter Olympics gold medals per capita. This is because they're a really small country, fewer than 6 million people. And also because... They simply have the most gold medals, period. Forget how small they are. They have more gold medals. They have more overall medals in the Winter Games than any other country. Now, we might say, okay, sure, but it snows all the time in Norway. That is true. But, you know, many, many Americans live in a place with as much snow as Norway, Oslo, I looked it up, had 66 inches of snow in 2017. Syracuse averages 100 inches of snow. Erie, Pennsylvania, 89. There are two other upstate New York cities, Buffalo and Rochester, which also beat Oslo in snowfall. So what I'm saying is, if you were just to take upstate New York, they experience Norwegian levels of snow. And upstate New York has the same population as Norway. Minnesota has the same population as Norway. They have a few Olympians, but they're getting killed by Norway. Norway's Nordic neighbor, Finland, has the same population as Norway, far fewer medals. It is a little bit warmer in Finland. And Sweden has almost twice the population of Norway. They also have far, far, far fewer medals. Why? Norway's rich, richer than the U.S. even. And richness, wealth, tracks with Olympic success. And they're really good at cross-country skiing. It's officially called Nordic skiing. Odd that Norway would excel at Nordic skiing. Odd in the way that the USA leads the world in consumption of American cheese. But there's another explanation, and sorry if this sounds lyrical or mystical, but it's the people. It's in the people themselves. Norwegians love to suffer. And so many of the classic Olympic events are suffering. So remember my question at the beginning, do you remember where you were when Lindsey Jacobellis tweaked her method? In Norway, there's a real question. Do you remember where you were when Advar Bra lost his pole? It was 1982. It wasn't even the Olympics. It was the world championships. And Norway and the USSR were in the last leg of a cross-country skiing relay race. It was the legendary broadcast of that moment. Oh, it's in Norwegian. So there you see Bra trying to pass the Soviet. And he loses a pole. His pole breaks. He's skiing with one pole, and a spectator comes out of the crowd, and he gives Bra a new pole. This is legal. And Bra goes on to victory, actually ties. But this would go down and become such a part of the Norwegian consciousness, as detailed in a wonderful New York Times story today. That tells you a lot about the priorities of Norwegians and their grit, and possibly that their commitment to democratic socialism comes in handy even when they're engaged in sports. It's not the X Games. The U.S. is pretty good at the X Games. It's not that they're not hard and training isn't grueling. But compared to cross-country, they're not hard and not grueling. They're fun. I'm not saying they're easy, but they're fun. But compared to cross-country, they're nothing. No cross-country skier ever tried to tweak a method. Crumble in a heap from exhaustion, yes. Big Air 270, whoopsie-daisy, nuh-uh. Now, as for Lindsey Jacob Ellis... She is still the most decorated female X Games athlete of all time. X Games aren't the Olympics. And she's back at the Olympics. She's predicted by Sports Illustrated to win silver in her event. She's never won gold. But the important thing is, of course, that she has fun. Or as the Norwegians might say, no, that is not the important thing. And that's it for today's show. Gist producer Pierre Bienname remembers when Hannah Teeter tweaked her flamingo in the half pipe. Senior producer Mary Wilson has that image indelibly burned into her soul of Gretchen Blyer rotating her gunny sack at the 2006 Turin Games. Steve Licht, executive producer of Slate Podcast, will never get out of his mind the time Peekaboo street pilfered her dolphin on the slopes at Salt Lake. The gist someday let's all get together and reminisce about that famous time when Diane Rolf Streinratter insulted the vicar. 94, Alberville. Where were you? Oomperoo du Peru. and thanks for listening.